Okay, welcome everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us. Today we're going to cover the risks of working from home and we're really going to first give you a brief introduction as to who we are, uh, the, the guys talking to you, give you a, an overview of a possible worst case scenario. We're going to explain to you the Mobius binary approach to uh, home security testing and then we're going to take you through some of our findings. We've, we've done security testing of home users for a number of our clients and uh, we're going to take you through through the, the top six findings and what those risks are, the possible attack path an attacker could use, and then provide you with some recommendations uh, and best practices that we think you should implement uh, to secure your organization. Starting out just really who's talking to you today from Mobius Binary, you have myself, Graham. I have over 10 years experience in information security and IT management. I'm of course an ISACA member and you, you might have might recognize me from uh, my talk last year. Um, and uh, you know, I, I hold the CISA and CISM designations. With us today is Rob Lin, who is our lead security analyst at Mobius Binary. He has over 10 years of experience in security testing. He holds the OCP certification and he has recently uh, been awarded his master's degree um, for in information security with a dissertation topic of an investigation into the current state of web-based crypto miners and crypto jacking. Really interesting subject. And uh, I think that his master's thesis is available online. So if you're interested in it, you can always either grab a copy or you're welcome to contact him to, to chat about it. So really who is Mobius Binary? So some of you, uh, we'll probably know about Mobius Consulting, which was started in 2012 by Patrick Ryan, Lynn Martin, and Sandhya Mohanpillay. Uh, Mobius Binary is really an evolution uh, from that. Security testing has always been a core service line of Mobius Consulting. But as of January 1st of this year, we've decided to split it out as a separate business, uh, really just focusing purely on security testing and penetration testing. And really, we're a group of passionate individuals that that really really care about uh, security uh, you know we have high values uh, moral integrity uh, we really want to to help organizations defend themselves we have a culture of learning uh, and and really challenge we, we want to push ourselves to to be on the bleeding edge we want to work together amongst ourselves and be collaborative and and we very much are we as i mentioned focus purely on security testing and we're a global business of, uh, you know, highly skilled individuals and servicing our global clients. So in a nutshell, that's who Mobius Binary is. Uh, and if you have any security testing uh, challenges or, 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 or needs, you're welcome to give myself or Rob a call afterwards, a message after this. So let me paint a picture for you. Why are we talking about uh, the risks of working from home? So worst case scenario, uh, this is recently uh, a lot of information has come come out about this in uh, in the courts in, in the US, but essentially in 2012 a hack of LinkedIn occurred, and that hack is you know information has slowly been unfolding in the media and, and online. That hack resulted in the uh, breach of 500 million LinkedIn users' account details, names, email addresses, passwords. And not only did that affect LinkedIn, it affected Dropbox uh, and resulted in a, a breach of 20 million user accounts. And then it 
subsequently led to a breach of a company called Formspring and resulted in a, a breach of 420,000 user or users information being available online. And that really is a worst case scenario for any company to you know, have this very public breach uh, that's in the news. And how did it occur? It was a user working at home. So essentially the attack path in this, uh, in this breach was that the hacker uh, who was based in Russia went onto LinkedIn and did some intelligence gathering to find a user that worked for LinkedIn that might possibly have VPN access. And you know, generally everyone puts on LinkedIn, they, they put their whole work resume, they put maybe some of the technologies that they are good at or, or they're proficient in. And this attacker found an employee who was a site reliability uh, engineer. And on that, you, uh, that, per, that employee's uh, LinkedIn account was a link to their personal blog. So the hacker followed the personal blog to, to the website and saw it was just a really a, a, a basic blog about who this person was and, and really just a, another version of their CV. But in doing a bit more reconnaissance, the hacker noted that the blog was hosted on a residential IP address. So he did further reconnaissance uh, of that IP and he found another service running on that IP address, which was another website, which was slightly more advanced. In that website, they were running outdated PHP and the hacker found a remote file inclusion vulnerability, which allowed him to upload a PHP file onto that web server. And that remote PHP, that uh, PHP file allowed him to get a reverse shell to that web server. Once on that web server, the hacker then did some further reconnaissance of the network that or the machine that he was on. And he was able to find an SSH terminal for another device. And over a couple of weeks, he ran a brute force uh, attack and he eventually was able to uh, successfully brute force that machine. It turned out the machine that he was brute forcing was an iMac sitting at this uh, LinkedIn employee's home on his home network that was hosting these websites. And once on that iMac, um, the, the hacker was able to you know, do some discovery and, and further reconnaissance. And he was able to find that employee's private key for VPN access to LinkedIn. And that was the path that he took in order to breach the LinkedIn corporate network. With that in mind, Rob, I think I would like to hand over to you and you can take us through the Mobius approach to testing home security. Sure. Thanks, Graham, and good afternoon, everyone. So the way we looked at it, um, at least this whole idea came to fruition in early 2020. We thought now everybody is at home, everybody's been forced to work from home, and they no longer have the comforts and security of their corporate infrastructure. So we're all out there alone now. You know, what are those risks? And we put our heads together and we came up with a concept where we actually built a website where users can go to this website, enter their name, of course. And with that, the website itself actually interrogates the user's browser. It throws all sorts of queries at it. It pulls the browser version. It gets a list of all the plugins. It checks all that plugin version numbers, what's exactly going on with that browser. 
And at the same time, it takes the IP address from where the user visited the site from and feeds it into our vulnerability scanner, runs a full port scan and a full vulnerability scan on their source IP address. And now using this information and essentially running, giving this IP address, at least this website to everybody in your organization, you get a really interesting picture of what your users at home are running in terms of browsers. Are they even using their corporate machines? Are they now deciding to use you know, a system at home that's maybe less secure and less updated? As well as what's going on on their router itself and their, their home infrastructure. Do they even have one? Are they just using a MiFi? What can you access? What is actually happening now that we're all at home? And those wonderful firewalls and proxies that we have at the office are no longer there. And, and so taking all this information, and we did this for quite a few clients, we looked at lots of things. So browser versions firstly, and a lot of people don't really pay much attention to the browser version that they're using. If you probably had to ask yourself quickly now what version of Chrome or Edge you're using, you, you may have to think about it. it. Might not be on the top of your mind even what version you're using. And there are a lot of browser vulnerabilities, serious ones, especially with older browsers, with older versions of IE, just visiting a website you know, could allow an attacking site to run remote code on your machine. And the same goes with a lot of plugins for browsers, such as, such as Java and Flash, which were the ones that we were particularly looking for. And at the same time, of course, that IP address from which you came. So that's how we looked at it. We looked at the device that the user was running, as well as the infrastructure that they were coming from. Next on the list was vulnerable browsers themselves. A lot of people had for some reason, perhaps lazy or perhaps hadn't cared too much, had, had shifted onto other machines and weren't using their corporate machines, perhaps, perhaps less restrictive. And these machines, some of them were, were running Windows 7, some of them had old versions of IE. And these are dangerous. These are dangerous browsers. They're old, they're, they're not updated. And simply visiting a site with such a browser you know, can cause a machine to, to run some code that it shouldn't. Next up, we had a lot of people still using Flash. Um, I think Flash is now been finally put to bed. It is full of vulnerabilities. Um, a lot of the older versions are, are very susceptible to, to action script exploits. So just having flash, a flash plugin can be risky. Having an, out, an outdated flash plugin, very risky indeed. What we saw a lot of was other services exposed, people just having things on their router that they had no idea about, you know, their home routers. Um, some people had actual VPNs on their home routers that they didn't even know about. You know, you just sort of plug in, maybe you buy a really nice advanced home router. You don't check it out exactly. You don't scan it yourself from the outside and you see it's exposing all these services. Um, so there were ones even, there, so there were certainly some VPNs. Uh, there were some BitTorrent clients running on there, which are a little dodgy. There were some home camera <laughs> ports that we could see through, um, which was yeah quite scary. So a lot of services on people's hardware that they probably had no idea about, but it was putting them at risk. Another one is Java, um, countless, enormous amounts of vulnerabilities um, in Java itself and in the Java plugin. And these were found across quite a few browsers, um, particularly some of the older ones as well, had, you know, hadn't updated Java in ages. If you install Java and you sort of get those annoying pop-ups to install, a lot of people just ignore them and turn them off. And because of that, running vulnerable versions leaves those machines at risk. 
And lastly was route to config. And, and this was quite varied, but things around exposed admin pages. And that's serious. You know, if, if somebody comes across your admin page, um, you know, they could really, you know, and, it, and it potentially have, it, it has a default login and password, log into your home, your home router, can see your machine names, can see your, your Wi-Fi key. And if they live in the same city as you could even come past your house and hop onto your Wi-Fi network and, you know, all sorts of things, as well as outdated router firmware. Can you exploit that router, get onto it itself, attack the machines on it? So there were quite a few of those as well. I think they were the six most prevalent, but an alarming number of them. So just to rehash some of the things that can be done with these top six items we found. So SMB services, a lot of information leakage, potential file access, as well as a path to authentication brute force, or at least a path to attempt logins if you have valid credentials. So vulnerable browsers. So these are susceptible to websites hosting malicious code, but they would need to be targeted to that browser. Vulnerable flash, similar sort of thing, the flash plugin itself, looking for action script. If somebody had to create a site that used malicious action script, you browse over to that site with a vulnerable flash plugin, you could be susceptible to that remote code. Some of the other exposed services we, we spoke about, VPN ports on the actual device itself, torrent ports open, and access to home security systems such as cameras. The Java, similar to the Flash issue, if you don't have the, the updated version of the Java plugin or at least any of the vulnerable ones, a website hosting malicious Java code could then run on your machine. And once again, the router config, uh, yes, I'm glad we're looking at this because one of the ones that I'd left out was port forwarding to internal systems. You know, sometimes you have a media player or something at home and you set up a port forward to it so you can access it remotely, maybe even a remote desktop. And now people scanning on the internet pick this up, perhaps you've forgotten about it. And there is a way into your home network through misconfigured routers. Also with the admin consoles available on the internet, as well as outdated or vulnerable router firmware, of which there is quite a lot. So what's, what you know, up until now, it's sort of kind of randomized errors that we're talking about or randomized issues that we've picked up, but how does it all sort of flow into an attack path? And similar to the example that Graham was talking about, LinkedIn is a fantastic place for attackers and for penetration testers as well. The amount of information that we get from LinkedIn about who works where, what they do, people associated with the organization is fantastic. So let's think of it this way. I'm looking to attack organization XYZ. I go on LinkedIn, I look up organization XYZ, I find all the employees that work for them. From that, I can deduce their email addresses. I really need one example email address. And from that, I can deduce a list of 100, 200, however many employees there are, if their names are on LinkedIn, I can create their email addresses. With those, with those email addresses, I can build a nice little email that maybe has some HTML that pulls an image from somewhere. And by opening up that email, I then get your IP address. Fantastic, I can now scan your home. But not just that, you know, based on the email I send you, I can 
you know, hopefully try and redirect you to a site or load some HTML, just like the site we built that does the same thing that Mobius does and queries your browser, queries your plugins. So now I can see I've got a list of everybody in organization XYZ. I've sent emails to them. I've got information about their browsers. I've got information about their IP addresses. I'm going to scan those IP addresses. I'm going to find some holes. If I find some of those browsers have are old and I'm not updated and have some vulnerable plugins, I can now create those sites with the code and target those specific individuals. If I know Bob has an old version of IE and this type of attack will work, I'm going to build the site and I'm going to start emailing Bob and I'm going to try and find a way to get Bob to click this link to take him to this website. Maybe I stalk him on Facebook, see what, what he's into and try and get him. All he needs to do then is browse to the site. Anybody else say Sam, he's got a vulnerable version of Flash. Same thing. I create a site just for Sam. Get him, get the link to him, get him to try and visit that site. And if he opens it up, you know, hopefully exploit his browser. Everybody's IP addresses I've got from visiting the initial email, the initial email that pulled up their the IP address. I'm scanning all of those, looking for a hole. All I need to do is get one of these people. I've now got access to a machine that's potentially going to be used to connect to a corporate VPN or a corporate network. And through that, I can pivot through to the corporate network. So that's the attack path. It, it's, it's not easy, but it's certainly doable. And we saw a lot of it in the past year. I think let's talk about some of the recommendations. Yeah, so it's not all doom and gloom. Some of the things we can do to protect ourselves is number one, always update your browsers and your plugins. You know, if they're, if they're moaning to be updated, don't ignore it. You know, it's a sort of easy win. It'll tell you when it needs to be updated. Keep your browsers updated, the things we use every day to browse the internet. Same with home routers and modems. It's a bit more tricky because um, you actually got to sort of poke around and log into your router and check what version it's using and see if there is any firmware available. But it's always a good idea to make sure that it's running the latest firmware. And while you're there, have a look at that config to make sure that your admin and your console page doesn't publish to the internet. It's usually a setting on the router itself make sure that this page is not available on the internet. Should someone just be looking for the string that don't come across you or if you're being targeted. Once you're on the router as well, make sure that default password, I mean, it is really security 101, but you'd be amazed at how many people haven't or just sort of forget to, is changing that default password for the admin on the router. Admin, admin, admin blank, admin one, two, three, four, five are so common um, and are really exploited all the time. So make sure that that password's changed. And make sure you've got no dodgy config on there. You know, maybe what we noticed from our example was a couple of people had no idea about these ports open. Some of them was default on the router. Some of them their kids had set up. So have a look and make sure that your, your kids or anyone else in your house hasn't set up anything, any intended ports or port forwarding on the router itself. And once you're updating everything, have a look at all your other IoT devices at home. Um, yeah, I've heard some crazy stories about, about IoT devices being the cause of big organizations to get hacked. I mean, there's a great story about a, a casino in Las Vegas a few years ago that got hacked through a thermometer in a giant fish tank, an IoT thermometer that was connected to the internet. Somebody had spotted it 
and it was running in a, a vulnerable firmware. And through through the internet connected thermometer in a giant fish tank, a casino got hacked. So don't neglect them. Um, IoT devices, make sure they're fully patched. And if they have any any details or any credentials, admin credentials, change them. Thanks, Rob. Uh, Rob, I do know we have one question for you. So uh, Pumle has asked, often there's a cost first benefit with upgrading the network for all of the out of date patches and uh, unsecure portals. What is the most effective way of communicating the criticality of the risks, but also ensuring that we don't break the bank? From a layman, a, a non-security tester's perspective, which is, is more of my perspective than Rob's, I mean, a lot of the findings that we came up with were, were really the basics. Um, so, so there was really no cost associated with making sure your devices are up to date with the latest patches and firmware. Uh, and then just making sure the, the, the basics are implemented, you know, changing default passwords, unpublishing unnecessary services. So, so yeah, while it's a good question, I, I think in the context of which we're presenting, which is, uh, I think it was in excess of sort of 300 home users is, is the sample size. Um, really, none of these findings or vulnerabilities required any real investment besides just implementing the basics. Would you agree, Rob? I would agree, absolutely. Okay, fantastic. Uh, I have another uh, question for you, Rob, is how long did the assessments take? The test assessments don't take long at all. Um, it's really up to the, the organizations. We can schedule them out over a few days at the most. Um, essentially, all we need the individual to do is visit the website and put in their name, just so we can tie back that session to to a person's name. Uh, they literally visit that site um, for about 10 minutes. We have a little timer that runs on the screen that says, please don't close your window while the, while the assessments are taking place. And then that's it. The user can close their browser and carry on. No other interaction. And, and obviously people can use the site simultaneously. So it's, it's literally just visiting a site and staying there for 10 minutes while you can do other things in the background. Rob, I've got another question for you from a, from a Laureen. Uh, the question is, do you consider social engineering during the exercise? What were the results if you did and how best to handle this risk? We didn't. Um, unfortunately, I mean, I'm a big fan of including social engineering with pretty much every assessment because that always mimics real life. It's almost always involved. But this was straight up a purely technical assessment. So there was no, there was no social engineering involved. It was just what is happening on users' machines, what is happening in users' browsers. Yeah. Rob, maybe if you could just expand. I mean, we in our normal uh, penetration testing, we, we do use social engineering techniques uh, when requested by our clients. I mean, can you maybe expand on that a little bit? Sure. Well, we, I mean, we'll do all sorts of social engineering that, you know, from, from phishing, um, of course, to vishing, you know, phoning people, to physically trying to sneak into places, to dropping dodgy USB drives, and combining those all with an external penetration test in a red team, it's really up to the user itself. Um, but we'll never embark on social engineering, we'll never interact with your employees unless you okay that first. It'll never be something we'll just do without, you know, as you as a client agreeing with it first.
Yeah. I mean, Rob, I know sometimes you can be quite successful in these. I know in the past I've sent out, say, 10 phishing email, you know, a phishing email to 10 users, and I've ended up with like 30 responses. If, you know, those users share them with other people, you know, it's too good to be true. And you end yeah. up capturing more credentials than you send it to. Uh, it's it's incredible. I mean, the, the amount of effort that goes into training users about phishing and phishing awareness is, is so significant, yet almost every single phishing campaign we do, we will get valid usernames and passwords almost every time. We have another question. Uh, Rob, uh, who's generally the client sponsor for these uh, testing from home engagements? Who is normally most worried about this? Um, I think from a network security CISO level, generally. CISO level. I mean, this really was was quite popular as, as lockdown kicked in. I mean, uh, as as the the perimeter moved from from corporate, you know, something manageable and tangible to to virtual. I, I think I think this gave a lot of people headaches uh, in this last year. Any more questions from anyone? One more from Arlene. Do you think this assessment can evolve to a continuous type security assessment instead of a point in time? I think so. Um, I think it can. You know, with the, the rate of, of exploits out there and the rate of, you know, issues with machines and config, uh, it, it definitely can. Yeah, I, I don't think you, if you run it once, I wouldn't just relax. Um, I think there's, there's definite there's definite room for doing this at a continuous level and perhaps evolving it to you know incorporate social engineering or other aspects as well. Okay, cool. And then we had another one from Aline asking if uh, you can purchase this in uh, personal capacity. Aline, uh, I don't necessarily have a model for that, but um, uh, let me have a think about it and, uh, and I'll get back to you on that one. Um, doing it for individuals can be be a bit challenging uh with all the, the sort of admin and reporting that goes into it but uh, let me get back to you on that if that's okay everyone thank you very much for your time today we really appreciate it thanks everyone bye-bye